Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Local Youth Worker, a podcast brought to you by Reformed Youth Ministries. I'm your host, John Parrott. Uh, today, we will be speaking with uh, Dr. Walt Mueller. Walt, how's it going? I'm good, John. How are you? Doing well. Uh, those who listen to the podcast know that Walt has been on uh, several times. Uh, you, you know what? I meant to look that up, Walt, before we started recording, but I already hit record. So I'm trying to remember. I'm pretty sure you came on two other times. Um, do you remember off the top of your head? <laughs> yeah, I think it was twice, probably. I think you're probably right. Well, you're always right, so it was twice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, People Ask your wife. She'll set you straight. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah. See, this is why we need a Chris Wagner with, with RYM. Uh, Chris is Walt's uh, producer. Would you say producer of the podcast? Does uh, all the behind the, the scenes? Producer. He's the glue that holds it all together. He, yeah. Yes. Chris does a lot for us. So, so yeah, if, if any of you check out the Youth Culture Matters podcast by CPYU, uh, Chris Often speaks on there, uh, but uh, he does, yeah, a lot of the behind the scenes. And he could be checking right now how many times you've been on the podcast while we're talking. But we don't have Chris, uh, so we'll just have to let our listeners go and search that. Um, but all that to say, uh, Walt is no stranger to the RYM world, as I said. He works for Center for Parent Youth Understanding. He's the president of Center for Parent Youth Understanding, cpyu.org. People can go and Check that website out. If you're in youth ministry and you've never heard of CPYU, uh, you need to, to, to be familiar with them. You need to go and peruse their website. So many resources out there. Uh, Walt, do you have anything new uh, that you want to uh, throw out there? I know the Just Add Parents, uh, that's some, some mm-hmm. stuff you've had out for maybe a year or so. Um, yeah, we do, a, we do a, um, right, we're, we're really about equipping youth workers and parents and helping them understand this changing cultural landscape, because the gospel speaks to it all, but we need to know what we're speaking to to be able to speak the gospel to it effectively. So one of the things that we've done is try, we've tried to make, uh, you know, our parent meetings, I'll, I'll travel a lot and speak in churches. I know I've been to, you know, your church, John, a couple of times and some other places um, where RYM folks are there. But we've just said, hey, we've, you know, I, I'm limited in how much I can travel. I love to do it, but we want to help youth workers as well. So we started this thing called Just Had Parents, which is a downloadable parent meeting, a ready-to-use parent meeting. And I believe we have two of them out there now. There's a couple more that are being in that are in production right now. Uh, and what it is is a, it just a, a video thing that that youth workers can use. It's really plug and play three 10-minute video segments from me that follow a series of topics and teachings, and then we include discussion questions and other resources that during the breaks between the video segments, youth workers can get discussion going. So it's not just sit and listen to me on the screen, but it's interact with the other parents who are there, and it's just an easy way for a youth worker to address a topic. So we have one out on tech-sensible parenting, and we have one out on raising marketing savvy kids. That's such a huge part of our lives is marketing. You know, four to ten thousand marketing messages a day. We and our kids see and hear, perhaps even more, with our involvement with screens. We have one coming out on uh, substance abuse and uh, some others that are in the works as well. So, um, you know, just trying to help parents navigate the culture and. Ha- help youth workers help parents navigate the culture. So that's a fairly new resource we have here. Mm-hmm. And we're always adding, you know, new things 
uh, to our uh, on our website at cpyu.org. So if people track with us there or sign up to get our emails, they'll be able to be aware of, of what's out there. Yeah, definitely. And uh, yeah, telling people, be sure to go to cpyu.org and check out that resource as well as uh, just so many other uh, resources that are helpful on there. We've already mentioned the podcast. And as you talked about um, marketing, that made me think of uh, some of your books as well. I think Youth Culture 101 was the first mm-hmm. uh, that I read of just your your entire chapter on marketing is just an excellent chapter. So people need to check that out. You've written Engaging the Soul of Youth Culture. And then one that was very helpful to me when I was doing youth ministry early on was uh, The Space Between and just, uh, yeah, looking at the development of teenagers. And really, I mean, what I've told so many youth workers is, that just gave me a lot of patience for the students I was dealing with and a lot of patience for uh, the parents. And uh, yeah, just such a, a helpful resource that people uh, need to check out. Um, while we're going to be talking about partnering with parents uh, on this uh, episode, I mean, this is our entire theme for the season four of this uh, podcast. Before I, I did that, I did want to, I guess this is kind of putting you on the spot maybe a little bit, um, but I was going to ask you. You're, Why you're, not? Why not? <laughs> Your first memory of youth ministry as an actual youth. Uh, what is your first memory of being in youth ministry as as a teenager? I mean, I know you were a youth worker for a while. You've been in this youth culture world, you know, CPYU, traveling around, speaking to youth workers. Can you give me an early memory of your own experience in youth group? It could have been a game yeah. that was a disaster or a teaching moment, whatever. What comes to mind? So, so you're talking about when I was a kid. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, just a little backstory here. Ninth grade, freshman year of high school. My dad was a pastor. He moved to a new church outside of Philadelphia, and one of the first things he did there was uh, there were a lot of a lot of kids, myself included, and I was his oldest. So now I'm in high school, and he wanted to have youth ministry. This was 1970, so it was the early days of youth ministry. So he goes over to uh, Princeton Theological Seminary, which some folks who are listening may go, well, that was not very smart. Um, <laughs> but you know, he goes over to Princeton Theological Seminary. It was very smart uh, because students over there had to do field education. And over the course of my four years of high school, we had three different uh, Princeton students who all have gone on to have astounding ministries, just, you know, solid evangelical, biblical guys committed to the gospel. That first year, he hires a guy by the name of Phil Douglas, who I know we've talked about before, who's a professor at uh, Covenant Seminary now. Hmm. So Phil is, you know, fresh out of college. He's doing seminary at Princeton. This Southern guy who, uh, from Tennessee, who comes in and starts to work and build a youth ministry really from the ground up. This church had not had a good history of, you know, being gospel-centered or teaching biblical truth. My dad came in to change all that, and so Phil had a tough job. But all that to say, I, I just wanted to say who it was, because when I name him, uh, who he was, I'm sure is familiar to a lot of people who are listening, who are familiar with Covenant Seminary, but it's who he was beyond just his name. And my first memory, and I really believe one of the reasons why I'm doing what I do today, is Phil's influence on my life, that he stepped in as an ambassador for Jesus Christ and the gospel. And 
I was amazed that this guy wanted to spend time with us and wanted to spend time with me. And that meant the world to me. So, you know, rather than a specific incident, like I do remember this, John, this is kind of funny. You know, this is the way a freshman uh, boy in high school thinks. I, I won't reveal all, all the way a freshman. <laughs> Good. Boy. I was about to have to cut you off. Yeah, yeah. That could be, <clears throat> excuse me. But I remember um, going to a high school football game with him and standing up in the stands to watch someone else from this was another high school other than mine and watching one of our peers in our youth group play and it was a cold november day i think it was actually a thanksgiving game and phil and i were standing up in that top row with a couple other guys from our youth group and i just remember looking at him this is so weird he was wearing you know like a navy pea coat you know those navy pea coats mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah so He's wearing a navy pea coat, and I'm just thinking, man, I, this guy is amazing. I love the way he cares for us, and and there was just this this aspect of wanting to be like him. And I remember going home and telling my folks that for Christmas I wanted a navy pea coat. <laughs> and a lot of it was just to be like Phil, you know. But you know, it, it went far beyond fashion, which anybody who knows me <laughs> knows I have no fashion sense at all. Um, and that's okay. I really don't care. I gave, I gave you do. up. You, you're too hard on yourself. You do. You're pretty well, solid. I don't know if I should trust that coming from you, but, um, <laughs> you know, I, it just was, it just was that this guy, there was something about him and his life that was extremely attractive to us as kids. And, uh, not only did I, as a result of him being in my life and others, God used him want to to follow Christ, but um, I wanted to, I, I wanted to do what Phil was doing, and and I think his presence in my life really was part of my call, my calling, uh, eventually to go into youth ministry. And I should say, you know, I've talked to Phil since. Um, He's still around, and, and I know immediately when he left us after a year, and then in, in subsequent, subsequent conversations afterwards, you know, he really wondered if the Lord used him to do anything mm -hmm. at all in our lives. And, and I really believe that at the time, he probably thought his year with us was a complete failure. You know, like, what did I accomplish? Because we were kind of a rough-and-tumble group, but, you know, in the long run, and this is what youth workers need to realize— your presence, uh, you may have absolutely no clue at all what your presence means in the life of a young person or in the life of a family. The, the things we say, uh, the things we do, you know, the teaching that we, that we pass on, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing how that sticks without us even knowing it. Hmm. Yeah, excellent testimony i mean there's a lot of encouragements uh from that uh, but but to, i mean to the youth workers listening just to to hear how the lord can use you in, in a young person's life i mean for you all these years later to be able to reflect on that to, to think about it to even remember the navy peacoat to, to know and, and think about what yeah. what he was wearing but to hear that influence is is such an encouragement and also to to hear that God is at work at, at times when you think, okay, how could he use that lesson I just gave? Or, you know, is anything even happening to, to be reminded of the spirits working behind the scenes and to receive encouragement from that? So that's, yeah, some, some excellent testimony, uh, Walt. I'm looking forward to talking to you more about partnering with, with parents and uh, having some reflection on that. But let's take a, a quick break and we'll get to that.
Hey everyone, this is Michael Hall, Director of Training at RYM. Before we get to today's podcast, I want to invite you to gather with ministry leaders from across the country at Youth Leader Training 2020. YLT is a great opportunity for you to take time away to receive life-giving refreshment from the gospel, build encouraging relationships with other leaders, and grow deeper in your understanding of youth ministry in the local church. YLT is open to anyone with a heart for youth ministry. Men and women, full-time, part-time, parents or volunteers. Registration is now open for both locations, Nashville, Tennessee and Paradise, Pennsylvania. Visit rym.org YLT for more information. Hope to see you there. All right, everybody, we're back uh, talking to Dr. Walt Mueller, uh, president of CPYU, Center for Parent Youth Understanding. Um, Walt, do you still have that Navy Peacoat somewhere? You know what? No. Okay. <laughs> I, I think I do have some clothing from college or from high school. My wife will often joke about, well, you know, Lisa, she'll often joke about up in the attic. There's a denim jacket, a jean jacket that I had when I was in high school. And it's still up there. Wow. I wouldn't dare try to put it on because it probably <laughs> would be absolutely hilarious. I don't know if I could get my arms through it, but I think I got that when I was a freshman in high school as well. That's got to end up at the CPYU auction one year. I don't, I don't know. You've got to autograph it or something. Yeah, I don't know. I'll, I'll, I need, now, you want me to, now you're making me want to go up in my attic and see what else is up there. <laughs> well, as I said, we're going to be talking about uh, partnering with parents and, and youth ministry and uh, coming alongside parents. Before we do that, Walt, I did just want to get you to speak to uh, some of the, the Christian leaders who have recently stepped away from the faith. I know this is um, several months now since this news has come out. I think it was maybe June and July when uh, when I first started or when I heard of you know Joshua Harris being one, but then also I think one of the songwriters for Hillsong, um, I think <laughs> as well, uh, stepped away from the faith. And um, I know when Duffy came on, uh, I believe he was the first for this season of the podcast. I just wanted to get those who have been in youth ministry for a while, those who have been around youth workers, and um, just to, to hear some reflections from that. And so first, maybe just some reactions to that, but then also yeah. some, some advice, some counsel that you would give to, yep. to young uh, younger ministers, uh, young people stepping into ministry, and just some advice there. Yeah, I, well, you know, John, when when these things happen, I think in our humanness, sometimes, and and I'll confess this, you know, you might say as you watch these people, you know, I'm not surprised. You kind of sort of saw this coming, and and I'll, I'll just confess that that sometimes that's the way I am, but I realize that the most important thing for me to take away from this is our shared humanity, our shared brokenness, and a sense of, you know, that cliche that is pretty powerful and right on, you know, there but for the grace of God go I, because I think we need to see it as a warning. You know, uh, the scriptures speak pretty clearly about humility and letting our work speak for itself and I've often said, because I've been entrenched in the youth ministry world for 40 years now, and I've watched lots of this happen. Uh, I've taken it to heart as a warning. Uh, I've, I've really learned not to point fingers and say, oh, yeah, that, you know, that I, I could have told you that person would do that, although there's a temptation for that. I mean, you start to see over the course of time some of the signs and some of the common threads that lead to this. And so... You know, my, my radar goes up with certain people for sure, 
But, you know, the, the message I have to communicate to myself is really who the Lord wants. I need to take away from that who the Lord wants me to be and the pursuit of my ministry without the pursuit of an audience, uh, without the pursuit of a high profile. I often say to youth workers, you know, I, I came up with this just simply because just simply because it was something I needed to speak to myself. And that was this, you know, seek the spotlight and it will blind you. Seek the spotlight and it will blind you. And I think it blinds us to what's really most important and what our primary callings are. And, you know, pride is always the issue. We pride and idolatry itself and fear of man plays into this as well, that that we want to have a following. And certainly, so well, two things I think that are really key in this that we need to be careful about. One is something that's, you know, really something that all of us have access to, and that's social media. Because, you know, we watch our kids try to become YouTube celebrities and we, you know, we lament that. But then we look at ourselves in the youth ministry or the ministry world and we're going, yeah, we talk about ourselves as brands. We try to build our brand. We always have to have this presence. When can we slow down? When can we step away? And it just becomes this horrible, horrible rabbit hole that we go into and and eventually we get lost in it and it kills us. But the other side of it is I think the church is way too ready to embrace celebrities when we think that they've become one of us and not nurture them, but we throw them out there Hmm. and we give them a platform and we give them a platform that really becomes in many ways the thing that, that, that they hang themselves on. And so that's troubling. And I know theologically, you know, the question we would always ask is, were these people actually believers ever? But you know, in the case of Joshua Harris, I think this guy at a young age uh, grabbed a following. I mean, I'm just saying this for, as an outsider. I don't really know what was going on, but, you know, it's it's troubling to me and it, it troubles me. You know, I, I'm 63 years old now and I have I can't believe I am. Um, you probably look at me and believe I am, but I can't. <laughs> no, believe- not at all. But youth workers will often come up to me when I'm speaking somewhere, and and they have to understand, you know, Duffy and I talk about this all the time, because he gets asked the same question. They'll come up to us and they'll say, how can I do what you do? And we're talking about 21, 22, 24, 25-year-old youth workers, and we'll we'll say, well, what are you asking? What do you mean? And they say, well, speak. I want to speak. I want to be up front. And we always tell people, I know Duffy does this as well, we tell people, we did not aspire to this. This was not something we sought. This was not, you know, something early on that we we went towards and said, yeah, that's what I want. The the problem now is that the platforms are there and people can build a platform without any foundation at all, without, without anything to say. And I think that that happens and it kills us because we just get so sidetracked. I think this is a great tool in the arsenal of the enemy. It taps into our pride, it taps into our brokenness. And, you know, just what I would say to a young youth worker is just, you know, take these big high profile stories as warnings. People get too full of themselves. They start to believe their press. The only press I want to believe is the press that I, that I believe about, that I believe in the gospel about me being a broken person. Um, and I do want to believe the press that when God looks at me, he sees the blood of Christ and I'm redeemed in Christ. And that's where I find my identity. But I can never stop grappling with 
my brokenness. And I think that needs to be on the increase over the course of our lives, that awareness of our sin, because I think that'll, that keeps us more humble than we would be if we were not, you know, focusing on that. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, I, I don't know, John, it's, it's hard to say what's going on with all these different people, but I just, you know, let's stop putting people up in the spotlight. Let's stop making celebrities. I love, I really think Carl Truman is right on on this and Google some of his stuff on celebrity culture in the church. Um, Listen to his talks. I mean, he's had a lot of pushback on that, but but Carl Truman makes great sense. And I think he issues a wonderful warning. And if if you're apt to not listen to what Carl's saying and you're prone to brush that off as is, oh, man, he's barking up the wrong trees. I think then that's a sign that maybe we're one step closer ourselves to stepping down some roads that we sh- shouldn't step down. You know, vainglory. I mean, it's, it's, that's a huge issue. And man, in today's world, we are so ready to make celebrities and, and embrace celebrities. And it is so easy to construct your own celebrity. And, um, yeah. Now there, there's, yeah, a lot of good thoughts there, Walt. And as you, you said, a, a tool in the arsenal of, of the evil one. I mean, I am thinking of just, you know, social media and just how insidious it can be because it seems like you're doing ministry, you're serving the kingdom and you're getting, you know, uh, good content out there or whatever, or a comment that receives like likes and, and it can seem like, okay, you're doing all of this excellent stuff for the kingdom and it could actually be, and it could be, uh, you know, serving God's kingdom, but we have to be very cautious of our sinful hearts and, and like you said, pride and vanity and um, how we really can be building our own little kingdom uh, centered on us instead of the Lord. And yeah, it's just, it's good to be suspicious of our own hearts. And especially when it comes to, I think, social media, as good as it can be and as helpful and, and all of that, um, there, there's a lot of good caution uh, for, for sure. So Thanks for that, Walt. Um, I know, like I said, I wanted us to, to think a little bit about partnering with parents and, and really getting you to go back to, to your youth ministry, uh, your years of youth ministry. Um, and just what was your relationship like with parents as you got into to youth ministry? I know there's there's some of CPYU was, was birthed out of that, uh, yes. but just maybe give us some thoughts of, you know, I know most youth workers are terrified of parents initially. Yeah. How were how you as you first got into youth ministry interacting with parents? Yeah, well, speaking of pride, um, <laughs> you know, I've always been a bit of, a, of an extrovert and I love being around people. And, you know, I, I, I feel like I, at least early on, you know, I felt like I had a pretty good ability to connect with people and loved being personable with people. But there was, I think, beneath the surface, I don't know if people saw this or not, but there was this arrogance. You know, I'm 21, 22 years old, fresh out of college in my first youth ministry position. And I'm not that much older than the students. And developmentally, you know, when you're a teenager, you look at older people and you think they're pretty incredibly stupid. Um, You think that you're smarter than them. You think that you know a lot more than they do. You think that they're really skewed in their understanding of the world. In fact, they're very old-fashioned. And as a result, as someone in youth ministry, it's really easy. And I think I did this 
you know, I, I felt like, okay, I want to have a relationship with parents, but my relationship with them is going to benefit them because they're really out in the dark and I'm going to do their job for them that they can't do in terms of spiritual nurture. And that's extremely immature. Uh, I confess it was extremely immature. I confess it was a part of the way I was doing things. I confess there was a lot of pride and arrogance there. Um, you know, and, and it was not true to the scriptures and what we understand about spiritual nurture and those who are primarily responsible for that. Now, understand, you know, there's always going to be those kids who don't have Christian parents. There's going to be unchurched kids who come to your youth group. And yes, you become a surrogate spiritual parent to them. But bottom line was, you know, I, I people would say to me, you know, like, what, what are you doing with parents? And I said, well, I'd have, you know, two parent meetings a year, maybe and tell them about what's going on in the ministry, and then, you know, you're excused, get them out of my hair, and then I'd go and I'd minister to kids. I learned very quickly, and there were several who challenged me on this, and I'm grateful for that. Kids do become like their parents in many ways, in every way, especially spiritually, and that's by God's design. So you need to equip and minister to parents. At that point, it wasn't so much, you know, early on, because my kids were young, it was not teach parents how to parent. Um, rather, it was just walk alongside them and be there to assist them. So I really took a secondary posture. That was a deliberate step. You know, just try to assume a secondary posture rather than a primary posture with the students. And then I had, because of that, you know, parents start to gain trust in you. And I think they start to respect you, at least partially in my case. And they, they came to me, a group of parents came to me back in the mid-80s and said, hey, we got a problem. We don't understand our kids. Can you help us understand them? Long story short, that led to me, you know, asking them for specifics on that. A lot of what they wanted was information on the culture and how the gospel speaks to that. My background had been in sociology and anthropology, as well as, you know, seminary theology. And so I started to, to take that challenge, and I saw how communicating information on the culture and how the gospel speaks to it to parents really equipped them to have conversations with their kids about things that matter. In fact, they were able to engage in more in-depth spiritual nurture with their kids. So, And the kids appreciated that, too. So it was really out of that. And because I was doing that, I was answering God's call to do that, that I got asked to speak about these things in a variety of different places, much to my surprise. Again, I didn't aspire to this. And like you said, you know, I, I was not, I mean, I respected parents, uh, but I was more comfortable being around students than parents. So this was a new thing for me. And I, I, I did it um, because people asked and I got more comfortable with it. I saw the need for it. So 30 years ago, we started CPYU. And that's what we've been doing full time since then, really working to help parents understand the culture that they need to cross into with the gospel and then train youth workers and others who minister to kids to do the same. So that's I probably took too much time to no, tell you. No, it was, that's, it, yeah. And it, I think you become a hero. You know, you, you, you become a hero to parents. You're not telling them how to parent. You're giving them the tools they need uh, to be the parents God's, God's called them to be. No, that, that wasn't too long at all. That was very helpful. And I like how you you said you took a secondary posture with the parents. And I wanted you to just flesh that out a little bit more. I think I, I understand what you're saying. But 
it's helpful to hear that, especially for younger youth workers listening to this. What what you mean by you know secondary posture and not yeah. trying to tell parents how to parent? Right, right. Well, number one, I think you know, look, we we were all great parents before we had kids. <laughs> it's just like we were great spouses before we got married. We could tell, you know, I could tell anybody how to be a good husband before I had my own wife, and I could tell everybody how to be a good parent, and I could be very critical of parents and the things they were doing and not doing before I had kids. And then I realized, you know, again, you talk about human brokenness and sin and depravity. Man, you fill a house with, you know, six depraved people, and it's going to be lively. I mean, we all know that if we're honest with ourselves. So, you know, don't don't act like you're an expert and you can tell parents how to do things. So, but, but even, and even now, John, as a, as a parent of four grown children and, and a grandparent of five grandchildren, I still will preface all of my remarks about what I've learned as being someone in process who's a fellow struggler. I don't have this all figured out, and I don't believe there are any parenting experts. I think the best parenting guides for us are people who are honest with themselves about their own brokenness, their own mistakes, and they're very vulnerable. This is why I love guys like Paul Tripp, if I can mention a name. You know, when I read Paul's book, Age of Opportunity, for the first time a couple of decades ago, it was extremely freeing because he's vulnerable. He knows his brokenness. He wasn't telling us how to do it and do it right. Um, He was walking alongside of us. And I think, you know, that's important. So to the young youth worker, you know, to take a secondary role to get more specific means to... I think support, um, to be a listening ear, to be ready to walk alongside, to uh, educate. Um, and what that means is not teaching parenting, but giving people information that they need to help them be a better parent. That could be as simple as putting a, a book resource in their hands or starting a small group for parents to talk about some of these great parenting books that are out there or to even, you know, do what I did and be a conduit of information on the culture that parents might be out of touch with. Um, So, you know, you would do that. So you educate, you encourage, you equip, but don't overstep your bounds and always maintain a posture of humility and a posture of servanthood as you work to um, assist parents. And by the way, I'll throw one other thing in there, and that is that, that by and large, you know, senior pastors or whoever's doing the preaching on a Sunday morning, um, children's ministry people, you know, others who are in Christian educators, people involved in the church, you, you can pass this same information and you must pass this on to them as well because they're learning just like we are and they're learning just like parents are. And I think by doing so, you create a church culture that is really supportive of families. Yeah. I, and I would say, let, let me give you one other thing, if that's OK. Mm-hmm. And that is that we got to the point in our youth ministry in the local church where we did not do um, youth group exclusively for the teenagers. We regularly opened up youth group to families and we encouraged parents to be there. And it was interesting to see they were timid at first, but they started to come. It became part of our culture. And those young people whose parents were not involved or were not believers, uh, a couple things happened with them. They felt the freedom to invite their parents, and we saw many parents come and, and become a part of the church and come to faith, make a profession of faith. 
But then we also saw if the parents, if their parents did not come, it wasn't so much that they felt left out. They reached out to other parents and other parents took, took the responsibility to be surrogate spiritual parents for those kids. So we created a real intergenerational, I mean, God blessed us. It was, it was a real intergenerational experience. And I lament, um, it saddens me. I, I can't believe it when I travel and I go to a church and they don't have kids worshiping with adults. They have a separate youth worship service on Sunday morning or whenever, you know, or they provide something to keep kids out of worship rather than being with a larger body of Christ. So I think that's a big part of it as well. Yeah, I, I yeah, would second that. I mean, just to lament to yeah, divide families on a Sunday morning. And, and, you know, I know there's, as we get down to younger ages, I mean, nursery and children's church for younger ages, we know some of that can just be practical logistics um, but yeah, to have them at older ages, upper elementary, youth ministry, and then to have separate services. Yeah, I, I agree as far as lamenting that. Um, Walt, I, I did want to get your perspective on youth ministry as a, a grandparent. As you said, you have four grown children and five, is it right, grandchildren? Grandchildren, yeah. Um, a little. And uh, yeah, j- just wh- how is your perspective on youth ministry shifted now that you're a grandparent and just, you know, youth workers as well. Uh, How just, I'm sure your desire to see a vibrant youth ministry that's coming alongside partnering with your uh, adult children uh, that, you know, will have uh, Lord willing children that grow up to be teenagers. Uh, Just give us some, some thoughts on that, on how your perspective has shifted. Well, that's a good, that's a good question because it has shifted and, you know, I always work to maintain um, a balance between that which would attract kids to the youth group. So, you know, what we would call the fun and the games and then the seriousness of it. And in all honesty, John, I think, you know, the balance for me, I say I always tried to maintain. I think the balance was was imbalanced and I think we became too dependent on some of the attractional things. Um, I do believe that our time with kids needs to be fun. I also believe it needs to be serious. I believe that at times it needs to be confrontational and confrontational in a, in a, uh, a graceful way where grace and truth are really balanced. Um, and I, I also think we, we sometimes in youth ministry try too hard to be kids friends at the expense of, of being an adult guide and, you know, just I, all I could say to that is just think about that. You know, so but the other thing is, I think with me now being a grandparent and being in my early 60s, uh, your 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 sense of, uh, you know, immortality, human immortality, life on this earth diminishes quickly and, and you gain a greater sense of urgency. And that sense of urgency is fed as well by the fact that we've got a culture that's that really is catechizing kids 24-7 in beliefs and values that yield behaviors that are anything but godly and the kinds of things that we would call the will and way of our Heavenly Father. So I often say, man, you know, with with kids so engaged with their screens 24-7, 9, 10, 11 hours a day, being catechized by that 15 square inches of glass, there is a greater urgency for us 
to engage in the process of Christian education of our kids, Bible teaching, catechesis, however you want to say that, whatever form that takes, both in the youth group and in the home, and for grandparents as well. You know, my dad, who's still living, uh, and who is 80, now 87 years old, um, you know, would often say to me 20, 20, 30 years ago, when we would have meals together and the family would be together, he'd look at my children, he'd look at me and my wife, Lisa, and he'd say, I'm so glad I'm not raising kids in today's world. And what he was trying to say there was, it's hard, it's gotten harder, it's gotten more difficult, the challenges are greater. And the challenges have always been great, they just take a different form. But I think they're more intense now and they're more more ever-present, I would say. And now he has great-grandchildren And he says the same thing with even greater gusto. And I think he's right. And I feel it when I look at my grandkids, you know, praying for them that they would hear the still small voice of God that calls them to come and follow in the midst of a world that's screaming loudly in their ears, you know, to come and follow all sorts of crazy, crazy ideas and notions that I think, you know, the enemy uses to just derail us. So, oh, I, I, I don't know if that answers your question, yeah. but no, again, yeah, a I would just lot. say young youth workers, you know, equip parents and mm-hmm. teach the gospel to your kids. I, I, this is what I love about what's happening with RYM. You know, to go to a to an RYM summer conference as I have for the last four years, and to work with the with the youth workers and the adults there, but be able to then shoot over in the evening and see a little bit of what's happening. As the students gather in their meetings, you know, hundreds of kids and someone's preaching to them. Someone's bringing the gospel to them to bear on life and to watch those students soak it up. Their mm-hmm. kids are made for that. I think we sell them too short. And by the way, this is another message I'm telling youth workers. Don't dumb things down. We, we give kids far less credit. For their intellectual capabilities and kids are bright take them deep mm-hmm. um yeah it's just so important yeah i know definitely echo that i mean as i as a youth worker who took my students to rym summer conferences uh, before i've come on staff and i know i've said this before to have you know two times of teaching in the morning where you're opening up the Bible, you're teaching, you know, theological category, giving theological categories to these students and then preaching in the evenings is, yeah, uh, so vitally important. All of it applied to life. We're not just talking about head knowledge here, absolutely. but we're talking about applying it to life, you know, and addressing some really urgent topics yeah. that the culture is, is guiding kids mm-hmm into an understanding that's really skewed. Yeah, and to have students say, you know, their favorite aspects to the summer was the the teaching. Um, That was, yeah, so encouraging to hear that uh, each and every summer as I took students. Uh, So, Walt, look, I want to close out by giving you a scenario. Um, Let's say that a church has hired you to come in and they say, okay, we're rebuilding this youth ministry, or you've got some youth workers saying, hey, look, we're we're building this from the foundation. Uh, Give us three primary aspects to, uh, you know, what this youth ministry should look like. What are some three things we should have in place to, to, you know, rebuild this youth ministry, shape this youth ministry? Uh, What are some 
uh, some aspects to that. I mean, it might just be one for you. It might be more than three, yeah. uh, but, but some things that you would want to make sure are a distinguishing characteristic of a biblical youth ministry. Yeah. Well, uh, for starters, I think the first and most important thing is the youth worker himself, himself or herself, you know, volunteers as well, that you are not getting wrapped up in the tyranny of the urgent, which our churches can, can really get us to that point if we allow them to, but you're getting wrapped up in the tyranny of your own spiritual development and nurture. And that has to be you know, step one. I think if you are not taking steps to make sure your roots are going down deep, um, you're you're just you're just headed for a shipwreck. And you know, our initial conversation here, we get so busy with building a brand or drawing kids in or whatnot, and we come undone. And we don't want to have that happen. And our kids can only go as deep as we go. And I I think, you know, to to seek out education to be a reader, to be a learner, to take the time you need each week to get time alone to pray and, and to learn, um, to nurture your own soul. That, that's, that's job one. Um, I think as well, um, you need to, second, secondarily, you, you need to recruit and train good volunteers. And, and I would have the highest standards for my volunteers. I would have high expectations from my volunteers, and I would expect the same of them that I just said that I would expect of me, and so, you know, they need to be tending to themselves, but also, you know, work to train them in how to understand development. Um, I often say that the three steps to effective youth ministry are, first, know the unchanging word of God, so that's the scriptures, and that's that's non-negotiable. Secondarily, no changing kids in their changing world. And part of that knowing changing kids in their changing world is, you know, knowing kids developmentally, what's appropriate, what's not appropriate, what's inappropriate at certain points in time for them, what are their capacities, what are they able to do, and they're always a lot higher than we think. So, um, you know, shoot high. So I think that, that that's important. The third, the third step, of course, in that is take the unchanging word to changing kids growing up in a rapidly changing world. So um, that's all that to say that second point I was making was knowing kids developmentally, and I, and I think to getting to know them individually. Every kid has a story. But the third element, I would say, is just what the topic of your, your podcast in your year is, partnering with parents. Uh, you know, they're busy, too, and I think they need to be challenged and equipped and educated in how to make shifts and, and get out of this rat race of the tyranny of the urgent that just eats us up. And you know, just to get them to reboot and give them tools they need to reboot and be the people God's called them to be in the lives of their daughters and in the lives of their sons is a is a big thing. So, you know, off the top of my head, those are those are, you know, three three important things. I know there's a lot more too we could add to that, but that's my initial answer here. Now, that's yeah, very good and I love just uh, the foundation of God's word under each of those three points and, you know, intertwined into all of those uh, points as well. Um, so very helpful, Walt. I, I appreciate it. Those who are listening don't know 
Walt, uh, at the time of this recording, just flew back in from Canada. And so uh, just the fact that you've been with youth workers in Canada for a week, flew back in, and then are taking the time to come on this podcast. I really appreciate that. I know a lot of people are going to benefit from your wisdom and your years in youth ministry. So thanks a lot, Walt. Thank you, John. Yeah.